morning. What's up, guys? How are we doing today? Happy Sunday to you. It is the Lord's Day. The Bible says today is the day the Lord has made, and we will... All right, some of you guys knew. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Nehemiah chapter 9 is where we're going to be at this morning. Uh, and we are looking at a, actually going to be kind of a two-part message, which I don't normally do. Uh, but today is necessary because Nehemiah chapter 9 and 10 are so closely uh, associated and so go together well uh, that we're going to be looking at a message entitled Repentance Step one. All right. Repentance. Step one. Have you guys ever been caught red-handed before? Have you guys ever heard that saying? Where's your, have you ever heard that saying? Caught red-handed. You guys know where it comes from, right? Think about the origin. Caught red What would make you have red on your hands? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's the idea of like someone, man, gets, gets caught and the evidence is so clear, you know, uh, whether it's that little kid who takes the cookie before dinner uh, and then mom sees uh, that a cookie is missing. And so what does she ask the little kid, right? What, what'd you do? And the little kid says, nothing. Did you eat a cookie? No, but there's cookie crumbs all over, you know, chocolate smeared on the face. Uh, but it's amazing how our initial reaction so often is to lie, right? It's to cover up what we did, even if we're caught red-handed, right? Even if the evidence against us is overwhelming, there is something within our sin nature that almost without thinking, have you ever noticed how quick you can come up with an excuse on the spot? It's amazing, you know, uh, how quick you could come up with a, a lie, a cover story uh, when, when caught for something. And, and I know we, we all do it. And, uh, you know, I've been serving in junior high for a while. And, and it still amazes me so that, you know, the occasional time when we have to step a student aside and be like, hey, like, what happened? Like, what'd you do? And it's obvious they did what they did, but they can look someone in the face and just say like, no, I didn't do that. And you're like, wait, but what about the cookie crumbs, right? The, the chocolate smeared on the face. And as humans, this is our nature. That when something is exposed that we do, our, our nature is to cover it up as quickly as possible, right? Hide the evidence. And God desires us to confess our sins, not to cover them. But what he does, what he uses is conviction to bring us to that point. We will always have the choice whether we come to God or not, whether we come to him in confession or if we will try and cover our sins. He will never try and force a confession. He will never have a forced confession. Uh, and there's a huge difference between conviction and condemnation, right? Conviction and condemnation are opposite concepts, Conviction is from the Lord and condemnation is from the enemy. You might just want to note that down. Conviction is from the Lord and condemnation is from the enemy. The Lord convicts us to bring change and Satan condemns us so that we think we can't change. Do you guys see the difference? God uses conviction, that inner nudge of the Holy Spirit to say, you're off course, you're wrong. It's never aggressive, but it's always direct. And that's to bring us to a point so that we can change. But condemnation makes you think has such a burden of guilt and shame that you feel as if you cannot change. There is a difference. And we saw last week in our message entitled The Book, we saw that, that conviction of the Lord come upon the people as they open the book. They saw their own shortcomings, but rather than being beaten down with condemnation, they were lifted up with conviction. And as they kind of sought to get right with the Lord, what we're going to find in these next couple chapters is that this wasn't a one-time deal. This wasn't like an emotional day that they got right with God and then forgot about it the next day that this conviction that they experience first leads to open confession. And from that confession, we're going to see that it leads to commitment. And so this is kind of the progression that we're looking at over the next two weeks together. 
Last week in Nehemiah 8, we saw that conviction happen from the open book. That conviction is placed there in our hearts by God to lead us to confession. From that confession, God wants to work in us a commitment to the ways of the Lord. And so Nehemiah chapter 9, we're focusing on confession. Next week in chapter 10, we will focus on that commitment to live in the ways of the Lord. And this is the cycle that honestly, as followers of Jesus Christ, this should be a cycle in the life of the believer. It happens initially at salvation, right? There's that conviction of, I need a savior. And then at that point, we confess our sin and confess Jesus as Lord. And that brings us to that commitment to follow him. But after that, this should be a repeating cycle. Why? Because though Jesus has forgiven us of past, present, and future sin, do, not we, do we not still deal with daily sin? We do. We still fall short in our pursuit of holiness. And so there's the need for confession. And there's the need for the recommitment. And so this is a cycle of the one that pursues Jesus. And so we're going to get into Nehemiah chapter 9. And we're going to read the first four verses. And so as our new uh, custom will be, we stand with me and we'll read the word of God uh, together. So if you want to stand and have in your Bibles and uh, be turned to, yeah, yeah, you guys can stand. Remember, remember last week? Come on. You guys forget so quickly. Nehemiah chapter nine, uh, our new tradition uh, in honor and respect of God's word. Uh, we are going to read God's word together. Nehemiah chapter nine. And we'll do it from verses one through four. Remember, this is not for me. This is not for any man. This is to show our absolute reverence and respect and honor towards the word of God. All right, so let's start in verse one. And we'll actually just read to verse four today. And then we'll pray. Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for one-fourth of the day. And for another-fourth, they confessed and worshiped the Lord, their God. Then Jeshua and handful of other names, stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. God, we are here this morning in this building, at this place, in this location. Lord, not out of repetition, not because we have a time card to punch, not as our weekly duty, Lord, but because we want to seek you. We want to know you more. We want to know you intimately and personally. We don't want you to be a God that we know about, but a God that we know. And so, Lord, we pray that through this time in your word that you would speak to us, that you would continue to bring that conviction of the Holy Spirit to our hearts, that we might be corrected, that we might be set on the path that you have prepared for us. Lord, we want to be close to you. We know our hearts are to wander. But Lord, may you speak to us as we study your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Now, when we open up Nehemiah chapter 9, we find ourselves actually in the same month that we were looking at last week, which is that seventh month on the Jewish calendar. And we're told that uh, approximately 24, 23 days, the people come together after that kind of Bible conference, after they opened the book. And look in verse one, we're given three details about how they came. In verse one, we're told that as the people came together, that they were assembled with fasting. That's number one. They were in, so dressed in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Three details are given to us. Now, at first glance, this can be a little bit odd. What is sackcloth and why is there dirt on their heads? Now, this wasn't one of those like new keto diets 
Uh, this wasn't a fashion statement wearing uh, sackcloth. This was an act of declaring one's brokenness before God. Fasting was not just about not eating, but it was to be a denial of one's comforts. Uh, the fact that they were wearing sackcloth, that is, sackcloth is like burlap. Uh, maybe you've seen like a big potato sack. Uh, they, were, they would wear this. Uh, they would put dust on their heads. They would take dirt and put it on their heads. Now, why did they do this? This was an ancient custom that was a display of inward grieving inward mourning and brokenness. This was a common practice that when, when say a relative or a loved one had died, that when the people would gather together, they'd all be wearing sackcloth. They would ref refuse food. Uh, this was a, a cultural display that they were inwardly broken. And the things like what they were going to eat and what they were going to wear simply became meaningless compared to how wrecked they were over sin. Now, this is relatable if you've ever seen or maybe yourself have gone through a loss of someone close, someone close to you that, that maybe uh, had, had passed away. You've seen before where maybe you've talked to that person that ha has lost their husband or a child that they don't care about what the next meal is. They don't care about what they wear. They just lost someone. That, that those things start to become meaningless. And right here, we see the, that the people gathered together and no, someone did not die. What was taking place is that as they continued to open the book, that God continued to convict them of their sin and they were broken. They were wrecked over what they had done, that as they draw closer to God, they begin to realize that there was more that needed to be right, be made right before God in their lives. And so we're told in verse two that they come together and they separate themselves from foreigners. Notice there in verse two in your Bibles, we're told that there was this immediate action that they had separated themselves from foreigners. Now, this wasn't the reality that, you know, there were like some people from a different country. And so they're like, hey, get out of my house or, or leave. Uh, but this word to be separated, it means to abandon a connection or association with a foreign culture. You see, for the Jews, they were to be different. They were to be separate, that God had called them to be different than the rest of the world because they were going to be used as the light to the rest of the world. But rather, they weren't different at all. These foreign nations that surrounded them and that lived among them, they just looked like everyone else. Uh, they lived the same way. They acted the same way. There was no difference. But in this moment of brokenness and realizing their fault before God, they have this immediate action, which shows us that in genuine confession, there is always an immediate action that follows. And this makes sense. You know, you don't apologize to your mom for hitting your little brother while hitting your little brother, right? Imagine the picture of like, you're punching your brother, you're kicking him, whatever you're doing, you're choking him, whatever it is. And as you are punching him or have him in a chokehold, you're like, mom, I'm so sorry. Like that was wrong of me as you're like clinching tighter. No, no, no. That doesn't make sense. That along with the confession of wrong, there is an immediate action of at least in that moment, getting things right, right? That makes sense. And so for them, as they're coming to God in confession, there was an immediate need that needed to be addressed and so they separate themselves and confess their sins. We see that in this portion that they were confessing and worshiping. This word confession, uh, which will be uh, step one in repentance, the, the main theme of today, it means to openly acknowledge evil deeds. It's this, for them, they came together. There was a nationwide sin of rejection of the ways of God. And so they come together here and they are in agreement together. What we have been doing has been wrong. And so what did this look like? Well, verse three tells us that there was one fourth of the day that they were in the word, right? They continued uh, with the book. 
And the other fourth of the day, another three hours, they were worshiping and confessing. Look there in verse three. It says that they were in confession, confession, that they were confessing and worshiping. You see, confession always stems from the reading of the word of God. Because this shows you like, oh man, I've messed up, right? It's like the speed limit sign that we talked about last week, that it is at the acknowledgement oh my gosh, there's a speed limit sign and I'm going 20 miles over the speed limit. Okay, now I need to do something. There's the immediate action of slowing down, right? And then there is the acknowledgement that you were going too fast. Well, as we read the word of God, this is what brings that correction. And so we see that they were confessing, they were worshiping. And then in verse four, the last verse that we had just corporately read together, look in your Bibles, there was those names uh, that I didn't, again, didn't want to read in front of you. Uh, and that the, these, these, who were these men? They were the leaders, the spiritual representatives of the people. And we're told that they stand up and they cry out with a loud voice to the Lord. And for the rest of the chapter, from verses 5 to 38, which look in your Bibles, don't take my word for it, the bulk of Nehemiah chapter nine is this prayer. You'll see the transition in verse five and it continues all the way to verse 38. That there is this prayer of confession that is uh, recorded for us. And this is, you can note down, the longest prayer recorded in the Bible. Uh, Right here, Nehemiah nine, the longest prayer recorded in the Bible, six and a half minutes. Uh, if I were to read it to you out loud. So like, let's say if we took time uh, and I had you guys stand up again and we read verse five to 38, I'm not going to, don't worry. Uh, it would take approximately six and a half minutes to read through. That's, that's technically, there's a lot of prayers recorded in the Bible. That is the longest one. That is the longest one recorded for us. And what does this tell us? Is six and a half minutes a long time? I mean, it's a, if I were to read it out loud to you right now, but if, you were, if I were to tell you, hey, spend six and a half man, minutes in prayer a day, you know that's less than 1% of all 24 hours you have in a day? Like six and a half minutes is, is actually less than even half a percent. Uh, some of you are, are doing the math, but I can show you later. Um, and so listen, prayer doesn't need to be long to be effective. Sometimes we whip ourselves thinking, man, I didn't pray three hours this morning. I mean, there's some, there's some certain times, right? They were spending long time in prayer and worship. Uh, there's some uh, times that we should spend a longer time. Uh, but listen, prayer doesn't need to be long to be effective. And so the people had this attitude of humility and brokenness, wanting to get things right, Okay, and so this is where we come to our big idea for the day. We saw what this looked like for them, but what does this look like for us? Well, we need to note down, and this is very important for the one that would like to follow Jesus, is that repentance is not just a one-time act at salvation. It happens there. Repentance, if it's not If that's not included in someone's process of getting saved, they aren't saved. This is a necessary step in salvation. But it's more than that. It is a consistent attitude we are to have before the Lord as we follow him. That this should be this attitude of repentance, this continual cycle. Do you remember that cycle I showed you? Conviction, confession, and commitment. That is the cycle of repentance. And there are two parts to repentance. And the first half is confession, which is what we just saw displayed for us in Nehemiah chapter nine, that this whole chapter is about confession. And if you are still writing that, I can show you after, but I want to show you the, the two parts to repentance. Okay. It's important for us. Repentance is first of all, confession That is that acknowledgement. Part two is that commitment. That's the action part of it. It's not, uh, repentance isn't just about, oh man, I'm, I'm sorry I got caught. It's not just about the remorse and regret, but that moves on to a commitment. And so what we're gonna be looking at today, right, is step one, part one. Next week, we'll see in chapter two, 
uh, chapter 10, we'll see part two, that there's this commitment and we'll see that full circle of repentance. But repentance, right? This is a word that I'm sure if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard before, at least if you've been at this church. Uh, this, is, this is a common biblical word, but it's not a word we necessarily use in our everyday English. Uh, it's actually an old English word and sailors would use this uh, a long time ago. Uh, they would use it as a way of communication uh, in, in an emergency situation. Oftentimes when there was maybe uh, the discovery of, oh my gosh, there's an iceberg or there's land or there's a ship ahead of us, that the captain would yell, repent. And all the people on the ship would yell, repent, repent. And they would know what that meant. What that meant was we need to change course. We need to change direction. We see we're going in this direction. There's an iceberg. We need to uh, do whatever we need to on the ship to, to move, you know, pull down the sail and turn this thing 180 degrees. And so they would yell, repent, repent, repent. It means to be going in a direction, to stop going in that direction, and then to turn and go in the opposite direction. A literal 180 turn, not 360, because then you would end up right where you started, but it is a 180 turn. It's to go in the opposite direction. And so today we're going to focus on the first part of repentance, which is confession. Now, unlike in other religions, you and I don't need to find a priest to go and have confession. We don't need to climb up a, a mountain and find a monk hidden in the temple to tell him all of our woes. Uh, we don't. We, according to scripture, do not, before even going to any man, if say we sin against someone, before we go sin against someone, we are to first be right with God. Confession is not a list of excuses of why you sin, but it is an acknowledgement that you sinned. Okay, confession is not, well, you know, my brother did this, and so that's why I did that. Well, if you only knew the home that I grew up in, it would explain, no, no, confession is not about excuses. It is about acknowledgement. And confession is something that happens once for the non-believer and then becomes a regular thing for the believer. For example, confession is one of the, the base ingredients for someone to come to faith, Right? They have to come to a point where they confess and acknowledge, God, I've sinned against you. Then they say, God, and I need your forgiveness. I need you to save me uh, and wash my sins away. But then confession happens on, should happen, uh, really does happen on a daily basis for a believer. That it's not, uh, confession now to be saved all again, right? If you sin and you're a believer, it doesn't mean that you have to get re-saved. But the Bible describes that sin is separating, right? And this kind of makes sense. If you have a relationship with a, a family member or friend, and maybe there's something that happens, uh, there's something that happens in that relationship. Maybe something was said that was, was just, was not cool, and was something that was hurtful. And so there was a, so for a time, there might be a separation, and then maybe there's that asking for forgiveness. And then there's that restoration, right? Now the, the, you can move on in your relationship. Well, in our relationship with God, when we sin against him, he doesn't like kick us out of heaven. He doesn't blot our name uh, from the, the book of life and say, oh man, you made it, uh, but now you didn't because you sinned. Uh, no, but it does separate us. The Bible says that if we live with unconfessed sin in our hearts, unrepented of sin, that our prayers are hindered. Meaning God says, I want to answer your prayer, but I can't acknowledge it until you acknowledge that there's something in between us. And so the Bible says that we are to confess our sins. First John 1, 9, if you don't have this verse memorized, you need to. This is one of, I think, one of the most important verses to have memorized as a believer. Uh, because we need to be good about confessing and doing it quickly. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful 
and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is awesome. This is the idea that if you confess your sins, God's going to be faithful to forgive you. Meaning, you know, we've all experienced before, at least I have, that rejection of, of coming to someone humbly, asking for forgiveness, and them saying no. And them saying, like, I can't get over it. That hurts. And that can make us then protect our own hearts of, I don't want to go to that someone else and feel like that again. Because I exposed myself, I humbled myself, and got rejected. God says, if you come to me, I will never reject you. If you come to me in open and honest confession, I will be faithful. I will forgive you. And I will not only forgive you, but notice what the verse says. I will come in and cleanse you. I will then do a work. It opens me up. Uh, it opens you up to allow God to work in your life. This is one you want to memorize. Uh, I have it memorized, and I don't say that to like, oh, I have this verse memorized. I have it memorized because I need it. I've learned myself, and I sin every single day. And I need this because I don't want to be separated from God. And for a second, I've learned that, man, being close to Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't ever want to be anywhere far from him. And so if I sin... I remind myself this verse and I say, okay, Lord, no, this, this was wrong. And I, and I acknowledge that and I repent and I do that. And we need to be good at doing that. That word confess, it means, right, what we looked at, to openly acknowledge. But what it is, is an agreement. You're saying, God, you've told me this is wrong. I did this. And so I'm agreeing that was wrong. It's an agreement with the ways of God. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who covers sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy, compassion. That word covers, right? That, that's kind of what we talked about initially, right? We're so quick uh, when we're caught to wipe off the chocolate off our mouths, to, to dust off the crumbs and act like we never did anything, Right? We're, we're quick to try to cover. It means to hide or to prevent something from being discovered. In a sense, we try to wipe off the, the blood that we have on our hands because it is clear we were a part of it. You know, whether it's maybe you're not supposed to be on your phone at night and so your mom comes in your room and there's that moment of, I'm supposed to be asleep. And so, you, you know, your room f goes flying across the room and you, you pretend like you're asleep. Uh, don't tell me that some of you maybe don't know what that experience is like, or maybe the TV on. And so you try in that moment to cover your sin rather than just be like, yeah, mom, I was on my phone. Like, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, here, here, I'm, I'm gonna go to sleep. And so you try to cover it. That's that initial reaction. But the Bible says that the opposite of covering is confession. And not only confession, I like that it puts both those. There's the confession, acknowledgement, but then there's the action, that immediate action to follow. There is that forsaking. There is that abandonment to leave behind. Action must follow confession. You know, we see this <clears throat> reality displayed in the story of uh, Adam and Eve, right? When, when they sin, and what's the first thing they do when they sin? They look at each other and like, oh, oh, oh my gosh, what's going on? They, they, they realize that they, they are exposed. They feel shame. And so the Bible says that they get some leaves together. And, they, and, and you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the picture books, but in the picture books, right, they just put like one leaf over certain parts. Okay, that's not how it was. In Hebrew, it doesn't describe that they just made like a bikini for Eve and like a swimsuit for, for, uh, for Adam. The word describes that they try to gather as many leaves as possible and put it on every part of their body because they felt ashamed. You see, our initial reaction when we mess up is to cover it up. It's happened from the beginning. And then even after they covered themselves, God comes walking in and what are they doing then? They're hiding, hiding from God who made them, who created them. And there was no doubt. Like there was no one back then in Adam and Eve's day that didn't believe in God because it was Adam and Eve. And yet what did they do? They hid. Did they think that God wasn't gonna find them? But it's interesting because our sin makes us irrational, doesn't it? Our sin makes us do things that don't make sense. That's why when we're caught red-handed, we can look at someone in the face and lie to them, even though we know 
that we're going to get caught. It doesn't make any sense because sin makes us do things that don't make any sense. One of the things that we can often miss when it comes to confession, though, is that brokenness. And the attitude of the people in chapter 9, they displayed that by their fasting, their sackcloth, and their ashes. What they were seeking to show God was that they were real about this. This was something that they were genuinely upset about, that they did. This wasn't just like, yeah, sorry, God, like, we'll just move on and get to the next thing. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to, you know, we sin, and so you're like, I can't have dinner tonight. I've sinned against the Lord. Or I, I you know, I, and we need to fast. Or, you know, you come in the house and you have dirt all over your head, and your mom says, why do you have dirt in your head? Oh, I've, I've sinned against the Lord, and so I'm just so broken before him. No, we don't need, those aren't cultural things anymore. But when that conviction comes, do we brush off our confession to the Lord, or is it real? You know, David, King David in the Bible messed up pretty bad. You guys know how bad he messed up, right? Not only did he sleep with someone who was not his wife, but was actually someone else's wife, after sleeping with the wife and getting the wife pregnant, he proceeded to cover up what he did. And he did his best to cover it. And it was this snowball effect where then he went as far as killing the wife's husband to whom he slept with. Like, it got out of hand quick. This is, this is King David, a man after God's own heart. Sin makes you do irrational things. And sin has this snowball effect that, that then you try to cover that one and cover that one. And all of a sudden you have a snowball so big that it is bringing havoc and wrecking your life. Well, for David, he, he comes to this point where his sin is exposed by Nathan the prophet. And so he writes, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's psalm of confession. It is a psalm that I would encourage you to have in your back pocket. You don't have to memorize the whole thing. But I know there's been certain times in my life where I just feel like I've, you know, 1 John 1, 9 is usually the one I go to. But there's sometimes when you mess up bigger than normal. Uh, this is a psalm that I go to for those times. Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, in this psalm of confession, David says this, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God or a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, these, O oh God, you will not despise. Did you guys catch it? He said, God doesn't want anything you have when you come to him in confession. I remember when I was in high school and there were times when I would just, you know, I was pursuing the Lord and, and, and mess up and sin against him. And so I remember in those times of confession, I remember praying things like, God, when Sunday comes and in the high school room, when that tithe bag comes around, I'm going to give my entire savings, all $100, right? Or whatever it was. Uh, you know, I didn't have a job back then. So, and so I remember thinking like, I'm going to give more and that will make, you know, uh, you know I acknowledge this wrong. God says, I don't want your money. God says, I don't want what you can do for me. In that first commitment comes later. But in that moment of confession, God doesn't want, like, let's say you, you, you commit some sin. God doesn't say, you know, you, and, and then you say to him, like, God, I will commit to, to serving in the children's ministry for the next 10 years because of this sin. God says, I don't want that. The sacrifices of God. I don't desire sacrifice. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. God says, I desire you to be broken before me. Because then I can come in and can begin to mend and fix the brokenness. Notice he says, these, O God, you will not despise. That word despise, it means to look down upon and think lightly about. If you come to God in humble confession, brokenness. God says, I, that's something I can't refuse. God says, I have to, I, I don't despise. I won't look down upon. That I will, I will bring you in. I will forgive you. And I just, I just get to the place of brokenness and then I can work. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such 
as have a contrite spirit. That word near means to be close in relationship. Now, we, we've all seen, uh, you know, forced and fake apologies, right? We've all been a part of it. Say sorry to your brother. Sorry. Say sorry to your sister. Sorry. Right? And there's the quick, did you mean that? No. And then your mom says, you got to mean it. Look, God's not going to ever force you to like say sorry. He's never going to force your confession like we talked about in the beginning. But God doesn't want that. If you're not, if you're not sorry over your sin, then don't, don't tell him so. God can see all <laughs> through all of that. Even if you've gotten really good at your fake apology, God can see through it entirely. He's not looking for an apology. He's looking for genuine remorse and acknowledgement, not just because you've gotten caught, right? So, so often the apologies or the confession comes because it got caught. God says, I don't want your sin to be exposed, but I will expose your sin if that's, gonna, if that, if that's what's going to happen. God says, our sin will find us out. That's why for me, I found it much better to confess right away so that my sin won't find me out. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 9 through 10, Paul has this great word to the Corinthians here. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So Paul shares with us, there's two types of sorrow, uh, kind of that, that feeling of regret. There's one that is described as a godly sorrow, and there's one described as a worldly sorrow. One leads to life, one leads to death. That's that difference between conviction and condemnation. And Peter and Judas are a great example of them, of this. You see, both of them betrayed Jesus, right? Now you could argue that Judas betrayed him in a greater way, but both of them turned their back on their Lord. Now what's the difference? Well, think about it. For Judas, there was a point that he realized and recognized, I messed up. The Bible says that in that moment when they, he realized Jesus was going to be crucified, that he was going to be beat to death, that he takes that 30 pieces of silver that he got for betraying him, goes into the high priest and chucks it at the ground before them and, and, and is basically trying to take it back. That was too late, right? The toothpaste was out of the tube. What, what was done, what was done. But we're told that he left that encounter of throwing the money before them in absolute shame and regret and he goes and hangs himself. That was Judas's end. Did that have to be his end? No. I believe Judas could have repented. I believe he could have confessed and committed. And then you see Peter. Right? He, he didn't set up the betrayal, but he was there. And he denied Jesus three times. Right? And then the rooster crows, and we're told in one of the gospel accounts that he locks eyes with Jesus as he's being beaten. And then we're told that he left and wept bitterly. He felt sorrow. But what happened to Peter? Did he go and hang himself? No. We're told that after Jesus rose from the dead, that both of them, they were restored. Then in John 21, we see the, the story of Peter jumping in the water uh, on the boat, recognizing Jesus on the shore. And, and they were able to reconcile and be able to restore the relationship. And so we see the difference between that conviction and condemnation. Now, as I mentioned before, right, the bulk of this chapter is that prayer of confession from verse 5 to verse 38. And uh, we simply don't have the time to kind of go verse by verse and break it up. I would encourage you, um, if you're find, trying to find something to read this week, go through this prayer uh, and, and, and you're going to see some aspects. It's kind of interesting and dynamic. And I believe that this prayer is a great pattern and model of how you and I can come to God in confession. Because maybe some of you are like, all right, like, I want to I wanna 
adopt this into my life. I want confession to be something I do and I do right before God. But like, where do I start? Like, do I just say, God, forgive me of my sins and then I move on? Um, I believe that we're not just to be right general, but we're to be specific about our sins. We aren't just to say, you know, sorry for everything I did, but we are to describe what we are um, uh, confessing. And so just to kind of sum up this prayer, it's long, and it's long for a couple reasons. And so I want to show you kind of the, the three aspects. There's three things, and I, and I use the word proclaim because this is a public prayer. This was kind of, uh, this would have been Ezra or Nehemiah actually praying this prayer. And there's kind of this, this, this public aspect to it that they're praying together. And we see in, in verse 1, uh, in verse 5 through 38 there, first of all, they proclaim who God is. They proclaim who God is. Before they get into like what they did, they first talk about God, that we see that they call him the only God and creator of all, sustainer of all. And they declare how God is gracious and merciful and ready to pardon. Now, did they need to like remind God who he was? Did God forget? No, it wasn't for God. It was for them that before they do anything, God uh, was first. And they're kind of reminding themselves and reminding each other, God is good. God has been faithful and they proclaim what God has done. Most of this chapter, if you go back and read it, you'll see starting with Abraham, they kind of go through some of Israel's history. God, you came and met us. You initiated a relationship. God, even when we uh, were no longer following you, God, you followed, uh, you were here with us. You never left. You gave us second and third and fourth chances and and so we see them kind of reminding themselves of God's goodness. And, th- and then they get to that place where they proclaim what they have done. Look at verse 33 in your Bibles, if you still are open to chapter 9. Verse 33 kind of sums up what they were talking about. And he says, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. God, you've been good. You see, our confession isn't supposed to be us-centered. It's kind of interesting. We're we're fessing up to what we've done, but it's not supposed to be about us. And this is a great way to, to start off because it, it, I think it helps with some of the shame and the guilt that we remind ourselves that the Bible says, even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. And so they tell him how proud they've acted, how they were stubborn and hard-hearted, and they get rather specific. Now, as I mentioned, did, did God not know what they did? Did God not know he, he was? No, actually, all three of these things, God knew. You see, prayer is not about informing God. You know that, right? Prayer is not about informing God. God knows everything. But what prayer does and what a prayer of confession does is it sets us in that right relationship. And so this is a good model that we describe in our prayer of who God is. Now, I love always starting my prayers out like this, whether it's, you know, God, you are king of kings, you are Lord of lords, God, you are faithful, God, you are good, God, you have, you have been there for me, and, and even looking back on, on past faithfulness, that's a good way to start. And so we'll close here with Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. We'll, we'll kind of bring this and make it personal. The Bible says that we are to sow for ourselves righteousness, We are to reap in mercy. We are to break up our follow ground for it is time to seek the Lord. Today, it's time till he comes and rains righteousness on you. I I would hate to kind of end this message with just, okay, bye. uh, And not have a a moment, uh, and we will before we end, of kind of, okay, what about your own heart? Uh, where are you at with the Lord? Is there unconfessed sin? Is there undealt with sin? The Bible says it is time now to seek the Lord. Do you see where it says break up your fallow ground? Does anyone know what fallow ground is? Fallow ground is that real hard uh, crackling dirt. It's kind of like if you've ever been out to the desert, you would see along kind of lines of this. There's no moisture. There's no plants it's gotten so hard and so dry. There's good soil underneath, but on the top, it's hard. See, 
are there any parts of our hearts that have hardened against God? Well, we know it's wrong, but we've covered so much. We've pushed off so much that we have made for ourselves fallow, grounded hearts. God says that we are to break it up. And how do we break it up? How, how do you get an ax and a, a, a shovel and begin to, to dig this up? It's through confession. It's through just getting real and right with God. Alan Redpath, a Bible commentator, says, I believe God is more ready to forgive the sins of his people than a mother is to snatch a little child out of the fire. He's ready. He's wanting. God right now, today, wants to forgive you. But the sin God never forgives is the sin we will not confess. This is the only sin that God can't forgive. There's nothing you could do that God says, oh, sorry, that was, that was over the line. <laughs> Come back and maybe I'll think about it. No, God describes for us that any sin we're willing to confess, he is more than willing, he is wanting to forgive. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for this great time in your word. We thank you that you don't force a confession out of us. Uh, you don't make us just say sorry just to hear the words. That your conviction doesn't lead us to shame, but leads us to getting real and getting right. And God, we know that we want to be close to you, but it's amazing to think that you want to be close to us. You don't want sin to be in between our relationship. And so Lord, teach us how to do this in our life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I got some questions for you guys, if you are so interested. Um, and we'll see how well you're paying attention to today's study. All right, first question. Why did the people fast, wear sackcloth, and have dust on their heads? Luke, give it to me. Yeah, for sure. A, con a season of confession and mourning, right? It wasn't that anyone had died, but that they were having this outward display of what was happening inward. Now, I don't think for us, like, like I mentioned, like we need to do this kind of thing. You know, if you're in sin with God, you don't need to come into the junior high room and just, just look so parched and I, yeah, I haven't been eating because, no, no, you don't need to do that. You just, you make it right before you and God. Uh, but for this time, it was a public display, but the heart needs to be the same. As if we didn't care about the comforts of life, but we just care about getting right with God. Very good. All right, second one. What are the two parts of repentance? Uh, someone give me one of them. Lincoln, give me the first one. There we go. Both Lincolns got it at the same time. Let's give a hand of applause for Lincolns. That is awesome. They were like, they were in sync, both Lincolns. Confession. Sorry, did you have the second one? No? Does anyone remember the second one? We're going over it next week. Yep. Uh, nope, not conviction. That's what leads. Yeah. Uh, acknowledgement and another, the C word for that. You remember? Yep. C word for acknowledgement or, or no, it's not acknowledgement. It's action actually, but yeah. Commitment, there you go, right? Conviction leads to confession and commitment. The two parts of repentance are not just the acknowledgement, but the action to follow, which we'll get into next week. And then the third question, when our sin is exposed, what is usually our initial reaction? Uh, sorry, you want this one? Yeah, it's to lie. It's to lie, that's, that's one of them for sure. What else? To cover up your sin. To cover up, yep. Cover up, totally. Yeah. Did you have one? To make it what? Excuses, right? So lying, covering up, excuses. That's our initial reaction. And we need to know that. I, wanna, I want you guys to think this week, like when something happens, whether it's with school or home, like look how your initial, it's amazing to me how quick my mind can come up with a lie. Now, even now, uh, 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 10 years of walking with the Lord and seeking to get right with him and confessing and committing and conviction and confessing and this whole cycle, even now, my mind will still come up with a lie, some way to cover it up. Now, what I've gotten at least better at is not listening to that lie and not, and not you know, that, the action to follow. Uh, but the amount of excuses um, are amazing. But we shouldn't acknowledge them. We shouldn't go in that, but we should practice confession. All right, last question. What are the three things that are proclaimed in the prayer of confession? There was those three proclamations. Someone give me the first one. Yeah. 
Yep. So number one, proclaim who God is. There's that, there's that man. And that doesn't have to be like so official. I'm God, I am now proclaiming who you are in my life. You are king of, no, just, just make it natural. All right, God, and just remind yourself of who he is. All right, Pablo, give me the second one. Yeah, so proclaim what God has done. Look at the past. Like, God, you've been faithful. Uh, you've taken care of me. I've never had a day where I was hungry. You've been good. Uh, Nicole, give me the third and final one. Proclaim what we have done. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was, you guys got it. We're so good. I wasn't sure if it was on the screen. Uh, perfect. And then lastly, right? Prayer should never be just about us, us, us. It should be about God, God, God. And we should acknowledge, of course, what we've done. Very good. Well, worship team, you guys can come out. I want to take a moment. You can hit the lights. And like I mentioned, like, I don't want any of you guys to leave today with not being right with God. Uh, maybe for some of you, you've actually never really done that. I mean, you kind of, you know, when you've gotten caught, you've acknowledged. And maybe it was more like acknowledgement for your parents' rules. But have you ever genuinely come before God in prayer and confessed your sin and asked him to be your savior? Do that today. Don't wait. There's no special prayer you just do that in your own heart right now. You just confess your sin. Uh, I think general and specific is good. Of like, God, I know I've done a whole lot, things I can't remember. But God, I do pray that you would forgive me for this and forgive me for that. Right? God says he's ready. Ready to forgive. Ready to pardon. Full of grace. Full of mercy. And the Bible says that if you just confess your sins, you acknowledge your wrongdoing and you ask him to be your savior, ask him to be your Lord, God says, I'll come. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe for some of you are believers and you've done that. Like there's been that initial moment of confession. But for whatever reason, you've been covering, you've been hiding. And maybe for some of you, you've covered and hid so much that you begin to believe the lie that you're right with God, but you're not right with God. That you've just covered up and kind of pushed it. The Holy Spirit's convicted. His voice has been clear, but you've just pushed it. That's just, that was just a bad burrito the night before. And you just push his voice away and you act like it's no big deal. And God's been speaking to you. Break up the follow ground. God wants to get to the soil of your heart and, be, and forgive you and begin to use you, but he can't because there's been something in between. And so take a moment, and before we sing this last song of worship, and, and Bethany, in, in just a, a couple minutes, Bethany and Christina, they'll, they'll lead us, about two minutes, but just take a minute and you check in with the Lord. Do business with him. I'll leave you with this. One of the best things I've ever heard, one of the best pieces of advice, it's super simple, it's just two words. About eight years ago, there was a, someone that told me, a brother in the Lord, get good at repenting quickly. We always wait. And then there's that snowball effect. Then we have to lie and cover and cover. In your life, as soon as you know that you did something, God's throne room is accessible 24-7. And so just repent, get, get right.